So this is the high point, no pressure. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's good to be back, especially to a full house. Um, some faces are familiar, some are not. Those of us that lean into the Reformed tradition um, know that when we've been born again, it's a done deal. The whole idea of being unborn is ludicrous. That doesn't happen in the physical world. You die, but you can't be unborn. Um, Nicodemus struggled with that. Um, we've been adopted. Uh, predestined to be adopted uh, is God's sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So God is not fickle. He didn't adopt you and then later on say, oh, I didn't know I was getting this. He knows the beginning from the end. And he adopted us anyway. It's amazing. But he's not going to give up on us. He's throw us away. He has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and he's put it into the kingdom of his own dear son. Is he going to throw us back in when we do something? What? What can we do? What can we do to be thrown out of the kingdom of his own dear son? He's paid for all our sins. What else is there? We're kept by Jesus Christ, Jude verse 1, and he's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before his throne. We are not able to keep ourselves from stumbling and to present ourselves faultless before the throne, but he is, and he's doing that. So we know that. We're secure in that. If we're a child of God, we're a child of God. That is never going to change throughout all eternity. But sometimes, through different things in our life, we forget that. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we wonder, am I a child of God? Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's because of circumstances. And we think, would God do this to his child? Uh, sometimes it's just because we get dry or uh, life just kind of uh, overwhelms us uh, so that we wonder, are we a child of God? Peter deals with that in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1. We're not going to look at that text today. I just want to say that... Um, I didn't put it as something to look at in your small groups, but you might want to look through uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, although you'll get buried in it and won't get out of it. Um, but in that, and through verse 4, he tells us the glorious and powerful story of our redemption, that we are secure in Jesus Christ, and it's his work, not ours. But then, starting with verse 5 on through, I think, 9, I forget the number, um, but he begins to tell us about our assurance of salvation. So there's a difference between our security, which is a done deal. That's God's thing. It's not our thing, our security. But our assurance is our thing. So he tells us in, in verse 5 of Second uh, Peter chapter 2 to add on top of our salvation that's sure a number of things that will lead to uh, assurance of our salvation so that he gets to the end of that passage. He says that our our, uh, our entry into the kingdom of God, into eternity, into heaven, is assured. Now, he's not talking there about security. That's verses 1 through 4. When he gets to that verse that talks about our entry into heaven, that's assurance that we know we're going. We can go through our life assured of where we're, we're going. It's a fact that we're going there, but sometimes we lose sight. And he says it's because you come nearsighted because you're not building in your Christian life. You're not growing. You're not... You're not persevering in growth. 
and becoming more and more uh, who and what God wants you to do. If you'll do that, you will not have those times of doubts. You'll be secure in where you're going and know that. So that's a lot to say. Hopefully, uh, I think that uh, your pastor has talked about these things before, but there's a difference between security which you have and assurance which sometimes you lose. So we're gonna look at Psalm 16, which by now you probably know that, verses nine through 11, it's the last, it's kind of final to say that this is my final sermon. It's like, you know, what does that mean? But, but final sermon on Psalm 16. Um, let me just read those verses again, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shell or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This has to do with both security and assurance of the believer, but what's it's based on? Uh, the very first word, the word therefore, is a word that is not used often in the Psalms. Um, but he, so it's very important. It's definitely the only time it's used in this verse. So what he's saying is that as a result of verses 1 through 8, which you've been through twice, some of you have uh, been through it twice, when you have that and you're doing that and that's your life, then verses 9 through 11 are a sure thing. And you can count on it. And it, it adds, it, it's your security. And as you live it, it becomes your assurance as well. So I'm gonna go back as review, and also for those of you who were not with us at the time, um, and just go quickly verse by verse. I'm not gonna read it, that's been done. But verse one, uh, the first thing that he talks about is your refuge is in God. It's not in your bank account, it's not in your friends, it's not in your family, it's not in your, your uh, skills, your refuge is in God. So that's the first verse. Verse two, I said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. God's the boss for you. God is your boss. He's your Lord. What he says is what you do. Where, what he wants is what you want. And you, you, your, your goal is to follow him and what he wants you to do. Uh, verse three, you have God's values. The people of this room, these are the important people. We're the celebrities, not somebody on YouTube or on TV or whatever. They're not the celebrities for us. We're the celebrities. We're the great ones. We're the magnificent ones. It's in the presence of each other that we have great joy, not out in the world. Verse 4, we don't trade God for something less. Verse 5, um, we have that, this relationship with God. Yahweh is, the portion of, uh, is my portion is my chosen portion and my cup. That he is the one that is the primary relationship in our life. Verse six, um, and this is important, I wanna reemphasize this again. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That means that I'm totally content with who and what I am and where I am. We who, again, lean into the reform position are really good. We believe wholeheartedly about God's sovereignty before the foundation of the world. But what about God's sovereignty when your parents conceived you? God is sovereign then. It's not a mistake. You didn't just end up with some parents that are kind of freaky uh, that God sort of overlooked and said, oh, well, we'll make up for it later. No, those are the parents God gave you on purpose because he has a plan for you. I'm re-preaching this because it's so important, it's important for our text, that you have to be content with who you are, where you are, and what you are, realizing that this is the sovereignty of God. You lose your job, God's sovereign in that. You get sick, God's sovereign in that. All of that. It's not, nothing is accidental with the child of God. And so we can rest into that. 
Um, John was telling me about a sermon on my times are in your hands. So when we rest in that, there's perfect peace. Because when things go wrong, it's okay. All right, so that's a mini-sermon. Um, verse 7, uh, we listen to God's counsel. Uh, we have the Word of God, and we have the Spirit of God, and we have the body of Christ. And so in all that counsel, he says, even in the night, the Word is my kidneys. It says my heart, but it's my kidneys instruct me. Well, kidneys don't seem to instruct, but according to the text, they do. And God does that. You wake up in the morning, and, and you have the answer that you'd been looking for. In the verse 8, um, really the grand finale of this uh, foundation that the therefore is built on, uh, since uh, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We are perfectly safe in the hands of God when you are in the will of God. You're perfectly safe. And therefore, my heart is glad. I want to, uh, first of all, you notice that this, there are no commands in this, in this psalm. It's not telling us what to do. It's, it's all a testimony. David's testimony, later on Jesus' testimony, verse 10, is is uh, applied by Peter and by Paul uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, but verse 9, my heart is glad. Um, it's not, he's not saying here like Paul does later, to rejoice in the Lord. He's just saying that my heart is glad. He's not saying to make your heart glad. Uh, it can't happen. Why is your heart glad? Because of the therefore. Because of all these things, my relationship with God and how it's working out, therefore my heart is glad. I want to talk to you about the heart. When I was a child, very young, um, a long time ago, I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart. And lo and behold, he came in. Later on, I found out the whole Trinity came in. And uh, he's been there ever since uh, in my heart. But as I got older, I began to uh, read science. And I realized that the heart is just a muscle that pumps blood. And so I started talking about uh, Christ coming into my life because the heart's just a muscle. But now that I'm older, uh, the last 50 years, they've been doing a lot of studies on the heart, and they realize uh, that the Bible writers were right when they talked about the heart and its wisdom. We uh, used it, I see it now, we sang about the heart. Uh, John talked about the heart uh, speaking to us, and it does. And so I wanna talk a little bit about the heart. It is a fantastic muscle or organ. It pumps about 100 gallons of blood an hour through a vascular system that if you stretch it end to end, and I always love that concept of stretching something end to end. So if you stretch it end to end, it would circle the earth twice. Those blains, veins and vessels uh, in your body would circle the earth twice. That's fantastic. And your heart beats 100 gallons of blood through that an hour. Uh, what, 50 times a minute or somewhere around there, less or more? Um, every minute of your life, if it stops doing it, you're dead. So what an incredible uh, organ that is that can do that over and over and over again, uh, hopefully without stopping. But that's just the physicality of it. But it does many other uh, amazing things. There's actually a, um, it has its own neurological uh, system. Like the brain is a neurological system and then the, the, uh, the spinal cord and all that is the brain's neurological system, but the heart has a system that's almost as complex that, that, uh, that <clears throat> links directly to the brain <clears throat> and to other parts of our body like the lungs and the, the digestive tract, and it informs uh, those parts of our body. So the heart informs the brain, and the brain informs the heart. 
Uh, it goes through the, the stem, that place where the, the fighter or, or flight, flight or fight uh, reflex is, the brain stem. It goes into that, calms it down, or speeds it up. Another thing it does is it produces dopamine and noradrenaline. So dopamine uh, is the pleasure thing. When you do something good, uh, it hits you with some dopamine. By the way, I just have to say this. I learned this earlier in my life, so for younger people especially, when you accomplish something, just sit back and look at it because your body gives your brain dopamine. It's your little reward that God gives you. So it's pretty fun. I learned that. When I paint a room, I sit back and I look at it or something like that, and you feel that. You only get it once. You go back into the room, it's gone. You don't get it again. It's like, okay, move on. You got another room, do that, and then I'll give it to you again. But it's kind of a fun thing. And adrenaline is the thing that, of course, gets you going. So your heart produces that. So it informs your brain in that way and the rest of your body as well. It also has, um, it puts out an electromagnetic field. Uh, and I don't know the exact number. It's somewhere between 60 and 2,000 times uh, the, the field that the brain puts out. So it puts out such a strong electromagnetic field that it can, it can be detected by instruments up to 10 feet away from your body. So if you ever have uh, stood beside something, it doesn't even have someone, it doesn't even have to be someone that you particularly love or like, but you stand beside them close, your, your hearts, because they're also sensitive to the electromagnetic field, your hearts are actually communicating uh, when your words are not saying anything and your brains are not thinking about anything. Or sometimes your brains may be thinking something completely together. I know if you've all felt it with someone, especially someone you love, you're not actually touching, but you're feeling uh, their closeness and uh, something that's there, your hearts are responding. So it's, it's amazing. So your heart is actually uh, more than just a muscle that pumps blood. Another thing it does, it communicates uh, through its, um, its, its uh, heartbeat. Your heartbeat is not, doesn't go bump, 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 bump. It's, it's irregular on purpose. It's called uh, varying heart rate or something like that, heart rate variance, HRV. And it communicates with the body through the variance of, of the heart. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So why have I gone into all this? Because I want to talk about the heart in the sense that the heart is part of our thinking person, not just our brain. And here's the problem we have, is that sometimes our brains overrule our heart. It's really hard for the heart to overrule the brain. The neurological system is not as powerful. You have to listen. So you've heard that. Listen to your heart. It's a real thing. And the Bible talks about it all the time. From cover to cover, it talks about your heart and how it is really a thinking part of you and you need to listen to it because you overrule it with your brain. Your brain is logical. It's much more powerful and uh, it can overrule. So my heart is glad. That's its default. When you're living verses 1 through 8, the default of your heart is glad. Um, nothing else. Well, other things too, but it's not unhappy when you're living these things, no matter what the circumstances, it's not unhappy. So why then do we not feel it? Uh, because it's overruled by our brains. So some of the things that overrule it, uh, one of the big things, I know this I struggle with, and I'm sure you do too, if you're a sensitive person, you struggle with all the pain and sorrow that's out there in the world. And the interweb has, interweb, <laughs> that's what I call it to the, my kids just to, just to make them feel goofy. Anyway, the internet has not helped us in that. It, it shows us you can find somewhere in this world or in your neighborhood something sorrowful that's terrible and grievous and uh, that you just uh, want to weep over. 
And so because there's so much pain in the world, sometimes we think that we shouldn't be glad. It doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. For them to be having that problem, maybe your neighbor, and while your heart is being glad. So sometimes we let that, we let our brains uh, instruct our hearts, don't be glad, because there's people that aren't glad. So you have to fight that. Um, sometimes uh, the, the sorrow of the past, our circumstances that are, we're in, they overwhelm us. And we'll talk about that in a moment, that, but that's another problem we have. Sometimes we don't think we deserve to be happy because we have sinned in the past. Um, and sometimes we're just sinning. Now, if you're sinning, your heart's not going to be happy. It's not happy with that. So you've got to confess it, as we did this morning. Um, hopefully, when you come in, um, at least the sins that have been, uh, you've been conscious of, you've already confessed. As soon as you've done them. For most of us that have been with the Lord for a long time, you know when you sin. Well, then stop it and confess it. And it's gone, covered by the blood of Christ. So you can come in fresh and clean or into your relationships fresh and clean. Um, but, sometimes, but sin will always um, block the gladness of our heart. Um, last week, God has, you know, over the years that I have preached, God always seems to allow me to experience what I'm going to be preaching, and it's usually very uncomfortable. So this week he did it through a day I've been painting houses. In fact, John and I uh, painted houses together uh, long ago here in Yakima, um, and uh, I've continued to paint off and on. John is not, because he's the smart one. Uh, but painting a house, it was a, it's a tall house, and um, I was on a roof about, I don't know, 35 degrees. It's, it's, it's enough so you can walk on it, but you don't want to. Anyway, I'm up there. I had a four-foot wand on my sprayer, and I'm spraying something. I've already sprayed this part, and I'm spraying up here, and a gust of wind blew and blew it down on the part it already sprayed over here, a spot that I have a hard time getting to. Anyway, that was how my day was the whole day. So, but at that point, my uh, brain was not glad. Um, it was very uh, irritated and upset. And, but I've been working on this, and I thought, okay, um, but my heart's glad. I'm not feeling it right now, so I just stopped for a moment and let my heart inform my brain, and uh, all of it went away. It was the most amazing thing. And I had to keep doing it throughout the day because the day was like that um, over and over again. But I, I, God wanted me to see, okay, does this work? Yes, it does. You can inform your brain by saying, just simply saying, my heart is glad. Um, that's one example. And my, uh, and my glory rejoices, back at verse 9. Uh, the, this is the only thing in the ESV that I, I wish they hadn't uh, interpreted it. It says, my whole being rejoices, and that's a good interpretation. But literally, and the note tells us that, it literally is, my glory rejoices. And I think that, that most of the versions... Uh, change that to something like my whole being because that doesn't make any sense to us. My glory. What glory? Because we think of glory as, as shining. Well, we don't shine unless we're, somebody's looking at us with infrared uh, scope, then we shine. But generally speaking, we don't shine, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the glory, the substance of who we are. So my, my whole being is good, but I, I think in purposefully he, he used the word um, glory. So it's that part of us that's glad to be alive. Ever feel that way? It's good to be alive. Um, get up. I guess the older you get, the more that when you get up and you're standing up, you think it's good to be alive and standing up. 
and going to be going about my day. So that's that thing inside of you. It's, your, it's, it's the driving force. It's what makes you alive, is your glory. Uh, chapter 7 of the Psalms, verse 5, gives us that. Starting with verse 3. Yahweh, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. So that's it. He's dead. In other words, let, let me die and my glory just in the dust. It's gone. That thing that animates our bodies here in this world. So glory, it says my glory rejoices. It's parallel to the idea that my heart is glad and my glory, this thing is even deeper. Now this time it's not a default, it's not a state, but it's actually active. My glory is actually um, actively rejoicing uh, in the Lord. Now there's a lot in the Bible about the uh, about joy, but in particular, I want to think about God's joy because we have the Holy Spirit within us. David did as well, and Jesus did, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. So if our glory rejoices, how much more does the Holy Spirit rejoice? Uh, Nehemiah 8.10, uh, God tells um, Nehemiah, the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So Yahweh has joy. That's his default is joy. And he says, I'm going to give it to you, Nehemiah, and that's going to be your strength. Uh, Psalm 45.7 in Hebrews 1.8 says that the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, that's why Hebrews 1.8 applies this to him, says that uh, he will be anointed with the oil of joy. What's the oil of joy? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the oil of joy. He's within you. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. It comes from him. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says that he will exalt over you, that is Israel, with joy. Then Jesus told his disciples in John 15.11 and John 17.13, he said, my joy I give you. Now, if that joy was not evident to them, that would make no sense to them. They'd say, what do you mean your joy? You're kind of grumpy. Uh, You know, he's the man of sorrows, and yet... In the core of him, in his glory, it was joy that came out. So much so that he can say, I'm giving you my joy. It's the joy of God. That joy is within you. Um, let me read 1 Peter 1.8. Because I want to get the whole thing. 1.8 and 9, really. Though you have not seen him, which is us, we've not seen uh, the Trinity at all. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him... Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So he's got both those ideas there, the glory and the joy, that in our relationship with Jesus Christ and in our relationship with the whole Trinity through Jesus Christ, it ends in inexpressible joy. It's inside. We can't say it. It doesn't necessarily come out. We may be in some very sorrowful situations, but that inexpressible joy is that is that power within us. And then verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here he is again in First in Peter with talking about that that joy is an assurance of the salvation of your souls. That inner joy uh, tells you that I have a relationship with God. And then the next phrase is kind of different from those two because it doesn't talk about joy. Instead, it talks about uh, peace and security. My flesh also dwells secure. By flesh, he means my body. He's talked about his heart. He's talked about the thing even deeper. Now he's talking about the whole body. My body dwells securely uh, or peacefully. Now, our bodies don't do that naturally. I talked about the fight or flight thing, but our bodies are always ready 
uh, for trouble because of the world we live in, which is filled with trouble. But he says, my, my body dwells securely. Why? Because, I'm, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So my body's all right. Um, as we think about that, I want to talk about one thing, and then in your small groups, you can talk about it some more. And that is that when we are in Christ and walking with Christ and following the Spirit, it's good for our bodies. Uh, we've learned now, you know, really all my life, I've heard that being bitter, holding grudges, harms our bodies. It harms our heart. It harms our digestive tract. It harms our brain. It harms all of that by holding on to bitterness. What does uh, the Scripture and the Holy Spirit within us tell us? Let it go. Let go of the bitterness. Don't let it develop. Don't hang on to grudges from the past. And part of the reason is because you hurt your body. The Proverbs talk about that, that joy is good medicine. It's good for your body. If the Holy Spirit is telling you what to put in your body and what not to put in your body, it's going to be good for your body. Uh, so my body dwells securely, and there's many other things that you can talk about and think about uh, in your small groups or today, this afternoon, of what is it that... As a believer, following the word of God, what is it that um, actually helps my body uh, be in a better condition? So it can be secure. We are in the hands of God. We don't need to worry about the future. Our bodies do not need to worry about the future. Doesn't mean we're not going to die. We are, which leads us to the next verse. That, this verse, by the way, was our, our uh, security, our assurance now. The next verse is uh, the security in what we are not going to experience. What's not going to happen, I put it down, a security in what we miss. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my, shell, my soul to shell or let your Holy One see corruption. What's shell? Shell is um, where uh, everyone in the Old Testament went when they died. It's the, it's the place of the dead. It's equivalent to the Hebrew or to Greek Hades. Hades is not hell. Hades is Sheol. It's where all the Old Testament characters died. This is a sermon in itself. I can't give it all to you. But um, as you look at the Old Testament, the, all but two went down into Sheol. Uh, the two that went up were Enoch and Elijah, and they went up bodily. But the rest all went down. They didn't go to heaven when they died. They went to Shell. And he's saying that you will not abandon my soul to Shell. And it has two meanings. Uh, one meaning is that you'll be there. In some way, I'm, I won't see you like I will when I'm before your glory in heaven, but you'll be there. You won't abandon me. It's not okay. No, you wait here uh, until the resurrection. Have a good time. I'll see you then. No, you won't abandon me. The other thing is that you're not going to leave me there in Shell. Now, uh, Peter in... In uh, well, it's here somewhere. Oh, Acts 2, 25 through 32, he applies this to Jesus, and Paul applies it to Jesus in Acts 13, 35 through 37. That's Acts 2, 25 through 32, and 13, 35 through 37. They apply this text to Jesus. And Jesus uh, was not abandoned to Sheol. Uh, he was raised again. And then he says, or let your holy one see corruption. What does that mean? Um, Peter applied it that, that Jesus' body did not begin to decay. And now with, in, with our science, uh, we know that the body does not decay until the fourth day. 
So that probably is one of the keys that Jesus had to know that he was going to be raised on the third day because he would not, his body would not see um, corruption. He wouldn't start to decay. He was raised before that process happened. So it is definitely looking to the death and resurrection of Jesus. By the way, Jesus went to Shell. He didn't go to hell. He told the thief on the cross, and I wouldn't know this except he said that um, today you will be with me in paradise. So he is in that place where Abraham and, and Lazarus were. Um, he said that he would go to the heart of the earth, Shell, but he did not go to hell. He went to paradise. Um, that's too big a concept for me to say any more about, uh, but think about it and look at it scripturally. So how does this apply to us? Well, it's even better, isn't it? Maybe you've already anticipated. We don't go to shell. We go directly to heaven. We skip the whole thing. We miss it. Not only does he not abandon us, that he'd be with us in shell or take us out of it, he doesn't, we don't go there at all. We go straight to glory. And you know that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 8, I believe, and you're going to look at that in your small groups. But one thing that I will quote that you probably already know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's not to be uh, under the ground. It's to be in the glory of Jesus Christ. To be absent of the body, so that's the moment you die. You don't have to wait for resurrection. There's no soul sleep going on. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. So we skip it, and that's glorious. You ought to be rejoicing about it. That's enough in itself to worship God about, is that we don't have that intermediate place. And then you, you or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, um, are, is our body going to decay? Yes, it is. If the Lord doesn't return before we die, it's going to, but we're not going to see it. We're going to be somewhere else. You're not going to care about your body. And I hate to tell you this, but at your memorial service, you're not going to be there. You're going to be around the throne of God, you're not going to care about those friendly little anecdotes that people tell about you. You're not going to care. You're going to be glorying in the presence of God. He won't be with your body. You're not going to be hanging around the room you died. You're not going to be hanging around the graveyard. You're going to be uh, having a good time. What kind of a good time? Well, that's in verse 11, where we see the security uh, and the assurance of our future. You make known to me the path of life. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know that verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are, three, or those are two of the words in our text. You make known to me the path of life, the way, the life. The truth is probably the making known part. It's all there. That Jesus says, I am uh, Psalm 16, verse 11a. I'm that, that um, the Father makes known to you, the Holy Spirit makes known to you the path of life, which is me, Jesus Christ. He said that the, way, the path of life is a person, himself, Jesus Christ. It's, it's not, it's not uh, a, uh, a system of religion to follow. It's not a uh, concept to understand. It's simply Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're on the path. How do we put our faith in Jesus Christ? He makes it known to us. And that's part of our assurance, is when you look back in your life, uh, that you know that you were illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and you received uh, that illumination, and prayed to receive Christ because he taught you. Nobody invented the gospel. Nobody could figure it out. You didn't invent the gospel. Someone told it to you, and then the Holy Spirit 
illuminated you and said, this is true. Have you ever done that? I hope that you have talked to somebody about the gospel and that clicked like that and they prayed to receive Christ and it wasn't anything you did because we're all stumbling when it comes to the gospel. We're no good at it. It doesn't matter. It's not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit that illuminates and, and shows the, the person that he is drawing to himself that this is true. This is the only way is, is to have your sins forgiven through the death, the, the, the purposeful death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the only way. And when that clicks and you get saved, you can look back and say, it wasn't about me. And that's part of your assurance, to know that God made known to you the path of life, Jesus Christ. It, yes, someone talked to you about it, but it wasn't them. It wasn't, you didn't think it through. You didn't say, now, now what's a good way for me to get to heaven? Um, you'd never think of it. It wouldn't come into your mind. But the path of life was declared to you by the Holy Spirit, and here you are as a result of that. It's part of your assurance, and what's the result of that? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. So here we have the joy again. It was gladness before, then rejoicing, and now we have joy. The fullness of joy. Uh, the word fullness is interesting. Well, first of all, the word joy is interesting because it's plural. Joys. Fullness of joys. And we can only handle one at a time and barely that. And we can hardly hang on to one joy. But it says fullness of joys. I think that when we have uh, something like this, it's a clue that there's more than, than uh, four dimensions in our future. That we have joys piled on top of joys piled on top of joys that we can't even understand. We certainly can't feel them now, but one day we will uh, have them. The word fullness, this is the only time this word uh, fullness is translated fullness. Every other time it's translated as satisfied. So the idea is that we will be satisfied with joy, and I want you to think about that later. But the idea is that you will have the capacity um, to, to feel all the joy that you could possibly feel. So now you're before the throne of God, in his presence, and joy is, 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 uh, is being exuded by him. So that everybody can feel it, but now you assimilate it in his presence and you feel it back. All the joy that you can possibly feel so that you are satisfied. There's nothing else you need, nothing else you want, because you're satisfied with the joy of God. And there's nothing hindering. There's none of those things we talked about before. There's no sin to hinder it. There's no guilt to hinder it. There's no sorrow uh, for things past. We have the, the, the mind of Christ, so we're not concerned. I mean, we're concerned about the pain of other people because we have empathy, but that does not uh, diminish our joy just like it doesn't diminish God's joy somehow. Do you ever wonder about that? How can God see all this pain and still be joyful? I don't know the answer to that, but he's God, and one day we're going to experience the same thing. And then the final phrase, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, the word pleasures needs a little um, explanation. It's not what you think when you think pleasures. It's the thing that causes pleasure. And John already preached this part of my sermon for me, um, unknowing, unbeknownst to him. Um, and that is, uh, so what is it that causes you pleasure? So the pleasure is part of it, but that's not the point of this text. It's what causes you pleasure. Um, and he mentioned sunsets and mountain view, oceans, uh, just doing what he did last night. For me, just looking at the stars, and over time it's just overwhelming. Um, uh, relationships, loving relationships. Um, food. My wife made this simple meal the other day. It was potatoes. They're kind of yellow potatoes. I don't know what they are. I don't know what potatoes are. And little smokies. She did something with them 
fried them together, and man, they were good. You know, I wanted more, but I knew that other people in my family wouldn't have any if I ate more. But it was just, it was a pleasure to eat it. Um, and food is not really my thing, like it is for some. I'm more intellectual. That's where I find more pleasure. Uh, but it was just really good. So that's what we're going to have uh, at the right hand of God, where we will be in Jesus Christ. We read that this morning as well in Colossians chapter 3. We'll be at the right hand of God, and we'll, we'll be experienced those things that give pleasure. Um, again, pleasures. And then the last word, forever. He opens it up into eternity. Uh, you, they don't, the Bible doesn't use the word forever very often. It usually says unto the ages of the ages, wanting to know that, that life is going to be full and rich, just as far as the eye can see. But this is the word uh, to go on, to stretch on and on. But it's more than that. It's the idea that it's stretching on and on today. So perpetually, continually, uh, faithfully would be some good ideas of that. As we open up into eternity, we have pleasures that go on and on. They don't fade away, Peter again said in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Our inheritance does not fade away. So there's no um, law of diminishing returns like our pleasures now. There's no sin to shade it. Uh, every pleasure we feel, we know we can feel it. Won't that be great? to be there in the presence of God, and every time you feel a pleasure, know, I can feel this. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it if it's sinful. And then you won't have that sin. You're not trying to hang on to it and, and make it better. It's just something that you get to enjoy and enjoy and enjoy and enjoy as far as the mind can imagine. Age after age after age, over and over again, wonderfully and joyfully, uh, at the right hand of the Father, uh, which is our destiny. Let's pray. Father, we only have a glimpse of this glorious future, this glorious present. Though you have redeemed us and sanctified us and are making us daily into your image, though we have each other, the Holy Spirit, uh, still we were overshadowed by what we don't know, don't feel, by our sinfulness, by the world's sinfulness, by the pain of our life, by the joy of our life. So thank you for this text that's a glimpse behind the curtain of the glory of who we are and where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen.